0: This is The Guardian. Today, the nearly 100-year ongoing campaign for the right of people in England to take a walk in the countryside.
1: Are you ready? So, there's about 200 people here, we reckon. Woo! Which is awesome!
0: Last weekend, a few hundred people gathered in the town of Totnes in Devon to break the law.
1: Just this here, this line here, this invisible line of power that we're going to cross behind a little sign that says, no right of way. So, we're going to cross over into it. This is land owned by the Duke of Somerset.
0: During the pandemic, when we were going stir-crazy in our houses, the UK government told us about the benefits of the great outdoors. Breathing fresh air, stretching our legs, enjoying the physical and mental health benefits of getting out into the English countryside. If only it were that simple. You might never have realised, but only a tiny fraction of England is legally accessible to the public. And for many in the country even the parts that are accessible feel out of reach.
2: I learned that walking can be a radical and political act and walking can be a way of saying, I belong here and the struggle for the right to roam is not yet over because unfortunately, we don't have equal access to the countryside.
0: This campaign for the right of people to roam freely and responsibly across England has been fought for nearly a century. Back of months of lockdowns, the campaign is again gathering steam, trying to dismantle the barriers that stop people from accessing the countryside, and not just the legal ones. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the ongoing fight in England for the public's right to roam. Eleanor Horton, you're an environment reporter for The Guardian, and can you tell me a little bit about how you spent the past weekend?
3: So I was reporting on a protest that took place in Totnes in Devon, and basically it was a mass trespass. So I was following some protesters as they trespassed on the land of the Duke of Somerset, which is off limits, despite the fact it's a publicly funded woodland.
0: Okay, so just a bit of weekend picnicking and law breaking. What was the general vibe like there?
3: It was nice. It just kind of felt like going on a countryside walk with a group of nice people. It was about 200 people and there were children there, there were people of all races, genders, ages, just kind of um, smiling, laughing and talking and enjoying themselves on a walk and having a picnic. It felt very normal. It felt like how you'd normally perhaps spend a Sunday on a beautiful May Day in Devon, except with quite a few more people than you normally would.
1: We're going on a trespass! Woo! And we're going that way to the Duke of Somerset's estate at Berry Pomeroy to go and trespass in his pheasant shoot woods because we only have a right to roam over 8% of England, 8%. The other 92% is where the law of trespass still reigns supreme and that's what we want to challenge today but do so peacefully.
0: Way. So that was the writer and campaigner Guy Shrubsall, one of the leaders of the weekend's trespass. And Helena, is what he told you true, that only 8% of England can be legally accessed by the public? How can that be?
3: So 92% of it is at the mercy of landowners, so there's no rights for us to go there. It's not just uh, the country's land either, it's uh, the country's waterways, which are even more restricted. So only about 3% of our rivers and waterways are legally navigable. So it's not true that 92% of the land is all illegal for anyone to walk on but it could be, and a lot of it is. There are some landowners who give permission to walk on it, but the, the um, protesters argue that there shouldn't be so much of it off-limits and that at least there should be some more footpaths going through it and you could, should be able to ramble through. And I'm here with Guy Shrubsole, who has been um, running the Right to Roam campaign. We're walking up to the Duke of Somerset's estate. How far are we, Guy?
1: I think we're probably still about half an hour away, um, and then we'll be setting off on the trespass itself through the Duke's pheasant shoot wood. <laughs>
3: Very beautiful around here. Is much of this countryside off limits to local Totnesians then?
1: It is. And, you know, obviously uh, in in Totnes, we're very lucky that we live uh, close to Dartmoor National Park. But, you know, the vast majority of people in England don't live near to a national park. They don't have that, that access on their doorstep. And that's really what um, Right to Roam campaign has been kind of calling for, is to say it's great that we have this partial right to roam, but it's very, very small. It's only on uh, 8% of England. And why don't we extend that right now to to cover places like woodlands and rivers that are basically next to every community in the country and and give people more regular access to nature with all the health-giving benefits that 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 brings.
3: And uh, why does the Duke of Somerset, why does he um, have to protect his woodland from walkers
1: well, I, th- I mean, I think you know he he owns uh, about two thousand eight hundred acres here um, on the outskirts of Totnes. He owns another three and a half thousand acres in Wiltshire and Somerset. He's obviously a very large landowner, and uh, you know he uses these woods uh, for a for a pheasant shoot. And you know I think we don't have a right to roam over woodlands, uh, and that was and that was because um, back in two thousand when the legislation was first going through the House of Commons, that, that it was decided to not extend it, to not include woodlands and rivers and riverbanks, partly as a result of objections from landowners. And a lot of landowners who own large pheasant shoots say, well, we don't want people in here because we don't want them scaring the pheasants. If you've ever seen a pheasant, and you're likely to have done because there are about 50 million of them introduced into the countryside every year, they, they, they are very scaredy birds. They, they leap out in front of cars as soon as you approach them. So I think this is a really kind of slightly ridiculous... Um, Objection to having more people share in the countryside. Uh, We wanted to uh, reach out to the Duke of Somerset in advance. We sent him an email to his House of Lords address as well as to his estate address. And, um, you know, our our aim is to say, you know, if you want to come down to the woods today, you might be in for a slight surprise at the numbers of, of, of us that are coming today, but you're also very welcome to join us for a picnic and have a discussion about perhaps, you know, negotiating greater access in future.
0: And Helena, what they're asking for isn't radical, right? Like like Scotland, just over the border, passed a law in two thousand three that gave people the right to roam across the whole country so it's not anything unprecedented.
3: Yeah and it's across Europe so Scotland, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Estonia, Latvia, Austria, the Czech Republic and Switzerland all have the freedom to roam across their countryside. Obviously every country is kind of land ownership footprint is unique and we've got a very um, kind of almost feudal system here where a lot of the land is large swaths of the most beautiful countryside is owned by people who were given it after the Norman conquest but um, Northern Ireland actually has even worse land rules than England does. So they're they're in a very similar situation as is Wales. So it's a different picture depending on where you go in the UK.
0: You know, Helena, at this point, some people might be thinking, like, hang on, I regularly go hiking through a national park or along a canal. Like, I don't feel like the land around me is off limits. What are they missing?
3: So it's true that a lot of us do live next to a canal or live near a national park, but there are issues with that too. So Most of the areas in um, popular holiday destinations and beautiful parts of the country that you are allowed to walk on are actually nature reserves because they're opened up by the Wildlife Trust and other landowners that are there for conservation purposes. But that that actually means you're concentrating a lot of people and their dogs often into a space that's very ecologically sensitive, one of the most ecologically sensitive places in in the country. But actually, that could be detrimental to nature. And also, it shouldn't be that people have to drive in their car to go to a national park to see nature. They should be allowed to see the nature that's on their doorstep, the campaigners argue.
0: Helena, this fight for access to the land in England isn't new.
4: On April the 24th, 1932, four or 500 ramblers assembled here on the Hayfield Recreation Ground prior to making the mass trespass of a Scout.
0: These campaigners are following an example set 90 years ago with a mass protest in the Peak District National Park. Tell me about what happened back then.
3: There was one amazing protest called the Kinder Scout protest in the Peak District. And the Peak District used to be completely off-limits, some to ramblers and walkers.
4: If there had been about 20 of us, they wouldn't have turned us back. They wouldn't have been able to do. And uh, we decided that we'd have a, a big group a mass trespass and are onto, onto the hills in Derbyshire
3: So there are two groups of people, one from Sheffield and one from Manchester who were coming at it from different angles and um, hoping to meet at the top and We
4: just went out <laughs> We went out, follow us lads, follow us girls and off we went down Valley Road singing very very cheerful and uh, the police just fell, fell in behind us. I mean, there's nothing else they could do at that time.
3: So they make it to the top of the hill. Bed, and sooner than yeah, actually inspired a famous song by Ewan McColl, who was on the hike as well, called The Manchester Rambler.
4: I'm a rambler, I'm a rambler from Manchester way I get all my pleasure the Hartmoreland way I may be a wage slave on Monday But I am a free
3: man on Sunday. And they ended up coming into contact with gamekeepers who were there to protect, as they said, the the land from walkers. And some scuffles broke out. It was a bit dramatic.
4: And the police went along the line with one or two uh, keepers and they made a number of arrests. Uh, We didn't offer any uh, resistance because it was more or less futile. Uh, there were as many police there as there were ramblers
3: <laughs> there were six people arrested and the maximum jail sentence was about 6 months
0: and so what did the public think about the fact that some of these people faced 6 months in prison for climbing a hill
3: the public were mostly sympathetic towards them i mean it might have been hard for the government or the you know the landowners to imagine but People um, in the country probably also wanted to go on a walk and, you know, it'd be legal to do so.
0: Right. And perhaps it's no coincidence that a few years later, England gets its first officially designated national parks in 1951. Do you think the, the public sympathy for the Kinder Scout movement contributed to that?
3: I think there was a groundswell of support anyway, but this definitely kicked it off and kicked off the discussions that led to us having the national parks and also the 2000 Act that meant that we can now walk over moorlands, etc. And actually the first national park that was created was the Peak District.
0: And that march was 90 years ago. And as you witnessed over the weekend, we're currently seeing a resurgence in the Right to Roam movement. What is it calling for today?
3: Well, there already is a Right to Roam over as I said before, the coastal path and Moorland, which is the 8% of the country we can walk on. But they're saying that's not enough. I mean, we are trying to protect nature. We're living in a country that's a lot of people are pretty disconnected from it. But we can't even access the woodland near our homes to go for a simple walk or a picnic. So they're asking for... um, Not just not to be able to kind of walk over people's private gardens or walk over anywhere they want and leave any mess they like, but to at least have some more right to roam, especially as many of these places are funded by taxpayers. The very woodland we were walking in on Sunday is one of many that's off limits, but actually receive money from the England Woodland Creation Scheme, which comes from the public purse. So they say if we're funding it, why can't we simply walk under the dappled leaves of trees and enjoy it?
4: Oh, I'm a rambler, I'm a rambler from Devonshire I got
2: all my pleasure, the hard
1: moon away. So um, yeah, we're I about to enter I forbidden like territory. We're going to step over way. into land that is off limits to the public. Now, when the public ask for greater access to land, they're often told, you can't come in here. You'll just mess it up. You'll damage nature. You'll drop litter. And we take those charges very seriously. That's why we've asked people not to bring dogs today. We'll be sticking to the forestry tracks that go through this land, and we'll be picking up litter as we find it, leaving no trace and improving, we hope, the environment as we go. Most of all, we're here to enjoy nature and to call for more equal access to it. Our message is simple. Isn't it time big landowners made a little less room for pheasants And a bit
0: more room for us peasants. So, did they meet any resistance? Was the Duke of Somerset around?
3: No, but um, we did bump into a couple of his workers who were estate managers following us around in an SUV and looking a bit suspicious.
0: And I'm guessing that there wasn't a scuffle this time around?
3: No, there wasn't a scuffle. They actually seemed kind of amused. I don't think they'd ever seen anything like this before.
0: So, Helena, away from this idyllic walk in the countryside and into the committee rooms of Westminster, is this something the government is aware of as an issue?
3: Well, they actually commissioned a review last year with the Treasury. Lord Agnew was supposed to lead it, and he's now resigned, but he was leading it at the time. And basically, the Guardians asked for the publication of this review into Right to Rome because they wanted to change how we... Um, or look into changing how we approach land and access to nature... But the Treasury has stopped the publication of this report and we've asked multiple times that Caroline Lucas, the Green MP for Brighton, she's asked for the publication of this report in in Parliament as well. This weekend marks the anniversary of the mass trespass of Kinder Scout, which paved the way for the
2: establishment of our precious national parks. The evidence of the importance of nature for our health and
3: well-being continues to grow. So it is profoundly disappointing to learn today that the government will not be releasing the results of the Agnew Review. It's been squashed, they're not, they're not releasing it, but we have had Mark Spencer, who is the leader of the House. He responded to a question in Parliament a couple of weeks ago.
1: I join her in recognising the huge uh, contribution that access to the open countryside can have on people's uh, physical and mental health. But I hope she would also recognise that the countryside, as well as a place
0: of leisure, is also a place of food production and of, and of business. So you're saying the government has actually done this report into widening access to the countryside. It's finished, it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, but they just won't release it?
3: So they definitely have responses to the report. So I don't know whether they've closed it all into a nice shiny package yet, but what I do know is um, there's definitely information that the government's sitting on and hasn't put out there. And I don't know why that is. They say they might be folding some parts of it into other legislation, but that's often a way to kind of kick things under the rug. I don't know why this happened. It'd be really interesting to find out if any big landowners objected to it being released or to it being even conducted in the first place.
0: Yeah, because as lockdown restrictions were being lifted, one of the things that the government and Public Health England were really pushing at one point was people to, to get out and exercise to actually use these green spaces. So it just seems odd that in a country with so much countryside, they would seek to keep so much of it off limits.
3: Yeah, I mean, without sounding too cynical, there are quite a lot of landowners in in cabinet and there are quite a lot of landowners who are Tory donors and there are quite a lot of landowning Tory peers. So it's often quite difficult to get this government to act against the interests of the large landowners and in the interests of a lot of the public.
0: Okay, Helena, imagine I am an extremely rich landowner. like. Maybe I'm concerned about, you know, looking up through the windows of my my very large private estate and seeing people walking through my garden. Should I be worried about that?
3: No. um, No template for right to roam in any other country gives people the right to walk through private gardens. This is about the countryside. It's about woodland. It's about, you know, around the side of fields. It's not about trampling through your peonies.
4: Well, we're not walking in anyone's garden here, are we? And, um... They always come back with that notion of that we're somehow going to interfere with people's privacy, and I think that's just not the case. I mean, look, you've got there isn't a house in sight. We're absolutely not going to do that.
0: All of that sounds really civil. Like, if all these protesters are asking for is a right to walk on the land, not for any special facilities or anything that might cost the landowners any money, what's the problem here?
3: Landowners often argue that. They're worried about litter, they're worried about dog walkers. And I know that some people do leave a mess when they go on walks. We saw that happen after lockdown in some areas. But arguably, um, if people are disconnected and banned from their local areas, how can they learn how to treat it? What's the incentive to learn the countryside code if you're not part of the countryside? But yes, they do worry that people could leave a mess and leave litter.
0: And so did you see any litter on the trip? Did any of these trespassers leave any rubbish behind them?
3: Well, interestingly, no, they, they did not. But they did see something rather shocking while they had their picnic.
2: So I think it's an old quarry, and there's basically a mass grave of pheasants just chucked down into the pit with washing machines. And I'd say, I mean, I can't see exactly, but there's probably, well, I don't know, several hundred birds, looks like, strewn in a very, very disrespectful way. Um, In terms of people sort of saying, oh, people trespassing will cause more rubbish and disregard of nature, I mean, I feel that this, if anything, the public being here would bring attention and awareness to how landowners are treating their their land.
0: Coming up, the English countryside is filled with fences and keep-out signs. But are there invisible barriers too?
3: Some came by bus, driving hours across the country to gather in the Peak District. But it was worth the journey to be part of an event celebrating diversity and calling for action.
0: Anita Sethi, you're a journalist and author, and to mark the 90th anniversary of the Kinder Scout protest, recently you went up that same track. Who else was with you there, and what was the atmosphere like?
2: Yeah, it was a, it was absolutely wonderful day. It was... Um, beautiful blue sky day but also quite a contrast to the heartbreaking reason we were there which was to you know say that we belong there in in a place where so many of us have made to feel as if we don't belong and usually when I go walking in the countryside I stick out like a sore brown thumb but on the kindering colour walk that day you know I was surrounded by hundreds of people of colour who gathered to purposefully make a statement that you know we belong there too we belong there as people of color we belong in green landscapes and the supposedly green and pleasant land of england Beautiful to see so many of you here today on this absolutely historic day i think there are more people of color gathered here today than there were original trespassers back in 90 years ago today which is amazing.
0: And Anita, can you tell us how you yourself got involved with this movement, how you first became aware of the fact that not everybody has equal access to green spaces?
2: A couple of years ago, I was racially abused while making a journey through the north. The man told me to go back to where I'm from, and I decided that, well, I would. I'm actually from the north. I was born and bred in Manchester, and the summer after that happened, I decided to make a journey of reclamation. Walking through the glorious natural landscapes of the north, as a way of saying I won't let having been victim of a race hate crime stop me traveling freely and without fear in a country where I belong. And I learned that walking can be a radical and political act, and walking can be a way of saying I belong here. And it got me kind of thinking about you know Britishness and belonging. And I think for far too long. Um, people of colour have been made to feel as if they don't belong. And particularly in spaces that are regarded as quintessentially English.
0: But you feel it more acutely in these places that you say are traditionally English, like the countryside in rural areas, that these are the places where you as a woman of colour don't feel as welcome.
2: Absolutely. You know, I grew up in Manchester. It's an incredibly multicultural, diverse city. Um, The Peak District isn't far away. It's like a a short journey on the Hope Valley line. And yet I step off in Edale and walk through the countryside and, you know, you can feel an outsider in those spaces. And, I mean, there's a staggering statistic that only 1% of visitors to national parks are from Black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds.
0: That's incredible.
2: So the walk itself, you know, was really raising questions of why are we made to feel as if we don't belong? What can we do to encourage a greater sense of belonging. And again, you know, there's that phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. And that weekend, you know, you could actually see people of colour there. And it was really heartwarming because there were people who had been out to the countryside, there were children there. It was the first time they'd ever climbed a mountain, for example.
0: Anita, some people might be thinking like, hang on, there's nothing stopping anyone in England from accessing these green spaces. You know, they're open to anybody. Nobody's discriminated against in terms of not being allowed in. What would you say to that argument?
2: And again, it's a variety of intersectional factors. More people of colour live in urban areas. Like myself, I grew up in the city. People might scoff, and I've had a lot of trolling and abuse when I speak about this subject, and people say exactly what you say. But it's easy for anyone just to get there. You know, you only have to hop into your car and get to. What if you don't have a car? And also, a lot of the countryside is practically inaccessible. Public transport doesn't get there. And when we raise this issue, a lot of people are very, very scornful of the idea of people from urban areas visiting the countryside. They kind of laugh and say, what do you want to build a McDonald's on the top of Mam Tour? And that's not the idea. And again, this is revealing horrible stereotypes about people of certain backgrounds.
0: And Anita, was there anything that you saw on the anniversary hike of the Kinder Scout mass trespass that made you feel like this problem you're talking about isn't permanent, that that actually it can change?
2: Absolutely. I think that spirit of hope, the fact that we were there and that we were turning hope into action. Walking is a form of action. You know, you're putting one foot in front of the other, literally, um, we were on a footpath walking upwards and it's an incredibly powerful thing. And we were moving forwards there was a sense that we were making progress by being there together and the, the fact that we were continuing the spirit of the Manchester Ramblers from 90 years ago. And I do hope that in the next 90 years, I probably won't be here to speak about that, but, you know, the the, the generation then will be able to say, hey, we did it. And there was hope and defiance in the air and that the dreams of the brave trespassers for access to nature might yet be realised. And here's to the next 90 years. And remember, you belong here.
0: Helena, you told me before that the government had shelved their report into widening access to the countryside. It appears that they have no plans to try to change these laws. So what do protesters plan to do from here?
3: I guess they just plan to keep walking, to keep going on protests and keep, um, you know, raising the profile of the campaign. I think that what they want to do is show how it impacts everyone you know it doesn't just impact a few people who are really into nature or whatever it impacts everyone who wants to go for a walk with their family it's something importantly as well that you can do for free Um, a lot of the time people don't want to don't have the money to go and pay for petrol to drive to a national trust house and pay for the car park and buy a cream tea or whatever you shouldn't have to do that to access nature Basically, they're trying to open up the campaign and show that it's applicable to everyone and get everyone's writing to their MP and asking for the report to be released and for rights of Rome to be extended. Like, coming together is not terrible. Like, this isn't about people being
2: at war with one another and being like, we want to take over your land. This is about, actually, how can we start to live in a different way and have more of a cohesive relationship with one another and the land. And I just think that is deeply important.
0: That was Helena Horton, an environment correspondent for The Guardian. Thanks so much to her. You can read all her coverage of the Right to Rome campaign at theguardian.com. Speaking for the government, the Environment Minister Rebecca Powell has said that while there are no plans to release Lord Agnew's review into access to the countryside, quote, the results of the review are now incorporated in the spending review, which is providing more than £30 million to improve public access to green spaces in support of health, well-being and the environment. The Guardian asked the Duke of Somerset for a response to the mass trespass event that took place on his land last weekend, but he hasn't responded at the time of recording. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser, sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Elizabeth Casson. We're back on Monday. This is The Guardian.